Good morning, church family. Hope everyone's having a great Sunday morning. We're so glad to see everyone. Hope everyone's having a great um, Christmas season so far. Because if you didn't know, Christmas is in five days. So just update you just, if you're unsure. But we love Christmas. Oh, I love Christmas. I should speak for myself. I love Christmas. It's a, it's a magical season, I believe, because it makes us, um, again, maybe believe in miracles. And it's so funny because that transcends even the Christian sphere. And you see this in popular movies all the time. People are waiting for a miracle to happen around Christmas because it's Christmas time, right? But they're ignoring maybe the greatest miracle that has ever happened on earth, which is why we even celebrate Christmas. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time when we can come before you as your family, as your body, praising your holy name. Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your word, as we take a look at what we're celebrating this season, that we can be filled with joy, that we can be moved to follow, that we can be uh, your people in all that we do. Lord, I pray for our family here, those who are watching at home, those who are here physically. I pray for anyone who's going through grief or struggling with illness or anything that's distracting from praising and glorifying you, that you can, they can find comfort in you, that you can make your presence known. We pray for our, our families and our friends and our loved ones, that they can truly know who you are and rejoice. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, Christmas is a time of miracles. It gets me thinking, what is or was Jesus' greatest miracle? When you start thinking about it, what is Jesus' greatest miracle that he ever performed? And maybe that's just a question that theological nerds kind of sit around and ponder together. But it's one that I started thinking about. What is his greatest miracle? Which is funny because probably the people who experienced the miracle, that's the greatest miracle, right? For the father whose daughter was raised from the dead, that's the greatest miracle. For the father whose son was healed, that was probably the greatest miracle. For people who themselves were healed or their friends were healed, they would say, that was Jesus' greatest miracle. For those disciples who followed him, maybe they would point to the calming of the storm or walking in water because it displayed just who he was and they say, that was his greatest miracle. And of course, when we think about Jesus' his resurrection, that's so closely tied to our salvation, it's hard to rule that, that out as being the greatest miracle. But I would propose to you that there is a miracle that maybe we don't even sometimes consider being a miracle, and that is the incarnation that we celebrate on Christmas, that God came down, that the Son, the second person of Trinity, came down in the flesh, took humanity upon himself for the express purpose of saving his people. It's the miracle that made all the other miracles possible. It's the miracle of God loving us so much that he would send his son not only to live for us, but also to die for us as one of us. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. The incarnation. God coming down. That Jesus came and he took on flesh. 
We see this in the typical Christmas passages that we normally read. We've read several this morning about the birth of Jesus and how it illustrates that this is not just a normal child. This is something more. This is actually divine coming down and taking on human form. This is the, the fulfillment of prophecy, as, as Isaiah said, that this virgin will give birth to this, this son, and he'll be God with us. This is the, actually the fulfillment of the great promise that runs throughout the whole Bible that were first stated in Genesis 3.15 about the seed of Eve that was going to bruise the head of the serpent. This is the fulfillment that we celebrate, and it's outlined for us in those classic nativity passages of the Bible. But how Mary, the virgin, she was visited by Gabriel, the angel, and he said, hey, you're favored one from God. She's like, whoa, what does this mean? And he says, you're about to have a child. Which confuses her because she's like, hey, I know how it happened. And it hasn't happened like that. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. For what will be conceived in you will be of the Most High, will be called the Son of God. And this is, this is the Son will be on, sit on the throne of David and will save his people from their sins. And how her betrothed, Joseph, was, heard this news and he was kind of skeptical and so he was going to divorce her and put her away quietly. But yet then he was visited by an angel in his dream and said, no, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, that the virgin shall give birth and this will be Emmanuel with us. We know these stories, the, the story of Christmas that we celebrate so often. Every year we read these passages. And that's the, the, the narrative form of it. But let's take a moment this Sunday and look at the why of it. Why was Christ born? Why were these prophecies given in the first place? And why did he come? Why did God come to save his people? To do that, we're going to be looking at first the book of Hebrews, starting in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. The writer of Hebrews is, is talking about Jesus, is talking about how Jesus is superior to the, the old covenant, the, the old ways, the, even and it's superior to angels. And he says this, starting in verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiations for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being and so we see the why of the incarnation. We see why Jesus came down, and we actually see why we should celebrate. It uses this language that, that God came down, and he, Jesus came down, and he partook of the same things, referring to the flesh and blood that people have, humanity has. He partook of humanity. We use the language like he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That he was made human to be like the people he represents. These two lines are, 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 are stating that Jesus was human. That we celebrate the birth of this baby, that this baby 
was God, but yet also human, that he was truly human. He was born of a woman just like every other human has been born, and he would be just like us, his brothers. He would have full humanity. This means that when we look upon Jesus, we must remember he was human. He was man. He was like us. He grew up as a man. He most likely learned in Joseph's um, workshop. We see in the Gospels how he got tired. He ate. He drank. When he suffered on the cross for us, he truly did suffer and bleed real human blood. Because Jesus was human. At Christmas, when we celebrate this miraculous birth, it's not a birth of something that's foreign from us, but it is a baby like we all once were. But he came as a man. Just not the appearance of a man, but truly as a human. But while he was born as a human, Jesus knew no sin. He was sinless. We see that again and again through the Bibles, and we can think of passages such as 2 Corinthians 5, 21, when it's talking about Jesus says, For our sake he made him to be, no, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That this Jesus, born just like as all we are, was sinless, without sin. He knew no sin which actually is really encouraging to us because while that's different than our experience, it points to a magnificent hope. It points to the hope that intrinsic to humanity is not sin. That's a really bad way to say that. Sin is not intrinsic to what humanity is. Sometimes we emphasize the fact that all have sinned, all have fallen away from God, and that's true. But sometimes we can focus so much on that that we can almost feel hopeless and we almost feel downtrodden that there's nothing in humanity that is good, which is not what the Bible says. The Bible says God did create humanity good, but because of sin it's been corrupted. But now here comes Jesus, uncorrupted, showing us what waits us when we know him. Showing what awaits us when we're with God forever. Showing what awaits us that we're going to be like he was, humanity perfected in how it was supposed to be from the beginning. And so this is a great hope that we know what we're designed to be because we can see Jesus who was made without sin. This is what we celebrate and we remember in the incarnation that God the Son partaking of humanity. But why did he come down? Why did he partake of all the same things of his brothers or become made in every aspect the same as his brothers? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us that he came with the express purpose to die. It says that it's through death he might destroy the one who has power over death. That Jesus came with the express purpose to be like us, to live as a human, to die as a human, to die for us. This is why it talks about Jesus being this merciful and high priest. 
That he, he not just dies, but he's going to be the one that offers the sacrifice of himself to God. And he was made in every respect like one of us so that he could represent us fully and perfectly. Because priests were not pulled out of just from somewhere else, but they actually pulled out of the people to represent the people, intercede on the people's behalf before God. This is hearkening back. He's, the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to the Old Testament and how the people, the Jewish people, would relate to God through these sacrifices. How the high priest would, 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 uh, would put his hand upon a, a goat and, and basically confess all the sins of the, the land on this goat and then release it out in the wild. Or how he would sacrifice the, uh, this, this lamb and it was a symbol of, of this reconciliation that they had to go through to be, have a relationship with God. That harking back on this language, now the writer of Hebrews says this, Jesus, made like us in every respect. He represents us fully as a faithful and merciful high priest, interceding on our behalf before God. But what is more, he's also the sacrifice that the priest is offering. He's also that lamb that has killed to make propitiation with God. To satisfy, yes, the legal requirements of our guilt before a holy God, but also to satisfy that God's just wrath against our sin. That Jesus took it all away. He had to be just like us so he could represent us. He not only as a priest, but also as that lamb that represented humanity perfectly. But he also had to be God so that when he was that priest and when he was that lamb, he would do those things to perfection, to the uttermost, and so it's once and done. And that is what we remember when we look upon the resurrection. I mean, the resurrection, yes, but the incarnation. This miracle of the Son taking on flesh so he could save us through his life and through his death. I love how Brian Chappell, a Christian author, puts it like this. And because Jesus is God, he can accomplish the purposes for which he came. Even now, he can rule our world in such a way that all God intends for our lives will happen. And when he was put to death because he was God, he could not only fully pay the sacrifice for our sin and pay the debt that we owed, he could rise from the grave. Death could not defeat him. Because Jesus is alive, because he is sovereign, because he is divine and risen to God, he continues to advocate for us. But if you more than advocate, Jesus accomplishes God's purposes in our lives. He is the God who accomplishes all that we need, even as he is the man who understands all that we need and provides all we need. Jesus, perfect God, perfect man, is the redeemer that we need. And he accomplishes all that was necessary by identifying with our humanity and doing what God had to do. To save us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That we were crying out for a Savior. That we need a Redeemer. Not only a Redeemer that just was one of us, but a Redeemer that could truly bring us back to God. Bridge that gulf that sin had created between man and God. And we find that perfect Redeemer in Christ. And he was born for us. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. Can you see why I might be tempted to call the incarnation the greatest miracle? That what we needed, what we needed to be made right with God was provided for us in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that provision on Christmas.
that God provided himself to save us. Paul in Philippians speaks of the same thing in maybe a different light. Looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because when we combine what Paul is speaking here with what the writer of Hebrews was speaking in Hebrews 2, we come to what we celebrate on Christmas was this, God came down. God didn't have to come down. God came down to save us. That left on our own devices, we've been away, astray in our sin, destined to die, destined to be separated from from all eternity. But God loved us so much that he came down. In the fullest of forms, in the exactness of of his divinity, that we can see who God is through the person of Jesus Christ because he came down to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us, and eventually to bring us home. That is what we celebrate on Christmas, that God came down. And we see this fact, and when we look at Philippians, that Paul, speaking of Jesus, talks about him as being equal with God. He was standing in the heavens. He was the second person in the Trinity. He was God himself. But he did not consider that something to be grasped. That he was humble enough to follow God the Father's plan and come down to save us all, save all of his people. Then some way that is hard to fathom, the Son took on limited humanity and lived as one of us, but yet was still God. To be a servant, to be a man, to fulfill the law, to fulfill all the requirements of our salvation. He lived as us. And because he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, God exalted him. And so that one day, we look forward to that day when every person shall bow before Jesus and proclaim his name is above all names and rejoice in who he is, truly God, the Redeemer, who saved us. That is what we rejoice. What we rejoice in on Christmas. Because we know who our Savior is. Jesus, born for us. I love how one of my favorite Christian writers and theologians, uh, Jared Packer, puts this Christmas message says, the Christmas message is that there is hope for ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. It is the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or will hear. That the Christmas message is this. Salvation has come in the person of Jesus Christ, made poor for us, so that one day he might hang on a cross for us and save us 
from our sins. It's the fulfillment that we remember that God came down, the fulfillment of this promise of God being with his people again and again. When we trace this God interacting with his people through the Old Testament, we see this, how he promised to be with them, that he would be their God and they would be his people and he would dwell with them. We get a taste of that in the tabernacle when his glory descends upon it. We get a taste of that in the temple. But now fully, before the disciples and the people walked here, was God come down to save them, to have a relationship with him, and that we we can have that same relationship when we see Jesus, who he is, through the scriptures and respond to him, that this is God who came down to save us. Because if he had not, we'd be left by ourselves to our own devices, doomed to wander our own way, left in darkness. But the light of the world came down, and praise be to God that he came down for us. And what does this mean for us as we celebrate Christmas? It means we should rejoice. It means it's rightly a season to be jolly. It's rightly a season to ponder and be in all the mysteries of our God who loves us to the extent that he would send his son for us. It means that we need all to get into the Christmas spirit. I'm not talking about you don't necessarily have to dress up in like Ted in his Christmas sweater, though that's good. It's good to be jolly. It doesn't mean we, we all have to get all, all into the thrills of what we've made Christmas, but what it means is we have to actually go deeper than that and think about what does the Christmas spirit truly mean? That the Christmas spirit is the one that follows the example of Jesus. The Christmas spirit, what we see happen at Christmas, the God coming down for us shows us his attitude that we who know him, we who have been saved by him, we who have been changed by him should now follow his example, should now live as he shows us how we should live. We should have the same mindset or attitude as God, as Jesus Christ. That's why when we read in Philippians, it says that, to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ's Jesus, have the same mind that Jesus had. That is what the Christmas spirit is, to follow this new life, a new life that gives itself to others, a new life that makes much of who God is, a new life that seeks to praise him in all that we do, a new life that points to him and him alone. We're supposed to have this new life, the attitude of Jesus, who did not look out for his own interests, even though he was in equality with God, he did not consider that something to be held on to, but freely came to save us. That we're called to have this new life, which is a humble life, a, a life that serves, a life that sacrifices for, for others. This is the true Christmas spirit. Going back to my homie, Jerry Packer, he says it so well. The Christmas spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob. For the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others and not just their own friends in whatever way that there seems need. There are not many, as many who show the spirit as there should be. If God in mercy revives us, one of the things we, he will do will be work more of the Spirit in our hearts and lives. If we desire spiritual quickening for ourselves individually, one step we should 
take is to seek to cultivate this spirit. That when we celebrate Christmas, we're reminded of who our Savior is. And the attitude, not only that he displayed, but the attitude that he works within his people. And so as we celebrate Christmas this year, I have a challenge for all of us. In the midst of rejoicing, in the midst of the family festivities that I hope you're able to have, in the midst of all that is going on, which is all good, in the midst of dressing up and decking the halls and giving presents to people, nothing wrong with that. But in the midst of that, I would challenge all of us, do we have the same spirit as Christ? Are we exhibiting the same Christmas spirit that he, ex- he exhibited when he came to save us? Be moved to love boldly, to serve greatly during this Christmas time so that Christ may be magnified and people may see who he is. God came down for us. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. Lord, thank you for providing for us. Not that this Christmas we can remember how you provided salvation through it, for us through your Son. Lord, we just pray for all of us that during this season we can rejoice and have fun and it's all good. But we never lose sight of the true reason we celebrate, which is that you came down to save us. You sent your Son down to save us. So Lord, I just pray that we can grab hold of that truth and we can let that truth change us and transform us and move us to be your servants in all things. That we don't just keep the Spirit for this season, but we let the Spirit change us all year round. A a spirit of giving, a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of serving, a spirit of humility, a spirit of joy. That we have salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And that you did not leave us in our sin, but you sent your Son to live for us, to die for us. Lord, we praise you. Let us remember that this Christmas. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.